0: And with that, we can open it up to questions. Greg can put the microphone back up there and I can move over. I'll
1: run through the <laughs> audience. Uh first is I want to say I, I've had that and I had the opportunity to see these two individuals working in the legislature, and I've got to tell you, uh they stay up way into the middle of the night, 1 a.m. and everything else like this, working and trying to keep our message through and that's so important. Uh, with that I have a question for uh, for both of you. i was the ranking? Democrat on the higher education committee. And who could do a lot of escapes and things like that. But I remember when we talk about the role of the university and that's value to the, to the state, I don't think the message is really getting through to my colleagues. I'm not in right now. Um, uh, maybe in the future. But I, uh, but I don't think the message is getting through that saying we're educating the populace to generate jobs is enough. I don't think it's happening. And with that, I have two uh, two related questions. One has to do with expenditures. Uh, is there anything that the university itself can do? You're talking about patents that we can imagine. Maybe it's a question for all of us to uh, to increase revenue for the state in the short run. Is there anything? Can we generate jobs in any way uh, through our work, our research, our ideas, anything like that? That's what I think the legislature to here. Second is on the expenditure side. Is there anything that we could do? The, the drivers. And I got interested in criminal justice uh, because the real drivers are the drug addictions, the prisons building, uh, the health care costs. Is there anything, we're a research university, is there anything we can do in this university to drive those costs down? I mean, so people could see it in the legislature, I think that support would come up for us. So with that, I'd say, what kind of things do you see on the horizon? You know our group as vice president. You know, like, I
0: think, you know, uh, yeah. Governor Napolitano used he to help us with she the budget presentations and when the you know, when the economy started to turn down, she told everybody to go out and buy a car <laughs> because uh, you know the sales tax was was dipping, people weren't buying anymore. We needed we needed people to have faith that things were going to get better and and to and to start in, investing and, and spending some money. I think that's as silly as it as silly as it sounds. We don't
1: make cars at the university. It doesn't matter
0: if you make cars, you can still buy things. <laughs> <laughs> At the, you know, within the university system, we've been, uh, the, the region uh, started and, and have spun off uh, a program called Solutions uh, Through Higher Education. Uh, we know that, that education is not only a, a key to developing a stronger economy, but to answering uh, a lot of uh, those questions that, that put pressures on, on other social services in the government. When you have a more educated population, uh, you have uh, less activity in corrections. You have fewer people on Medicaid and Medicare. Uh, you know we've been we've been trying to sell uh, that message, and, and we're doing our best, and we're working with the the universities, with the with the business schools, and, and others to help put that data forward. But um, you know we're at this we're at this interesting crossroads. I um, live up in Phoenix, and uh, in, in the city of Phoenix, they just raised a, they just put a sales tax on food, 2% uh, sales tax on, on food. Uh, before they did that, they were laying out all the options for things that were going to need to be cut. Um, Library closing and limiting hours and, and first responders being laid off or positions not being filled. so response times are going to get longer, all of those things. You hear these cries from people that they don't want to pay more in taxes, but when they hear what the consequences will be they say well wait you know I don't want to pay I, even some of the, the tea Party folks you see you know no tax is good tax I you know I want zero tax well when you push back and you say well you know how would you pay for the fire department how would you pay for infrastructure and, and sidewalks and and all of these things there's there's less of a there's somehow a disconnect between um, the taxes that you pay and the public benefits that generate from that and I think that's some of the message um, that, that we're trying to get across it's, it's difficult in these, in these times though um, you know the universities the universities need money um, but at the same time when you're looking at at funding for the university or um, you know cuts to health care for <coughs> the indigent or, um, or fewer uh, CPS investigators. Uh, you know, thankfully, uh, we haven't had any any um, vulnerable children. Uh, big, big stories about things happening to vulnerable children because programs and services. <coughs> but there gets to be a certain point where um, you start, uh, the factions start getting pit against each other and, and you know is the public worth of the university really that much more important than some Some will put this out there is it more important than keeping uh, uh, prisoners in the, in the correction system is it more important than providing child protective services and when people say no it's not more important all of these things are important then the response has to be and I'm willing and I'm willing to pay for it how do we how do we increase state revenues in order to pay for that and how do we increase revenue? We have an option here at the university to get some of that revenue from what some may call a user tax, from from tuition. It's got to balance what the what the state should be providing, and then also what um, what the um, those taking advantage of the of the service should be paying to support that.
2: No, I just say that to your question Ted, about you know about jobs. I think beyond training the workforce. Doing the uh, research, etc. I don't know that we can do much to create instantly during the recession, create jobs beyond what we're already doing. Any other questions? Now,
1: yeah, hi, Greg. Um, thanks for being here today and sharing this with us. I, one of the things I've kind of heard through the various conversations there are some states out there. Michigan comes to mind, and some others that have made the strategic decision basically to divorce their higher education system from state appropriations and go on their own and that's a huge drastic step but if I'm looking 10 20 30 years down the road uh, is that a realistic option in Arizona
0: you know just to, before Greg takes on this um, there are the Goldwater Institute talked about the Michigan model and I think what's important is in Michigan while the University of Michigan might be that privatized model you have Wayne State and Michigan State and a whole host of other <coughs> options that students have that are state-supported so I think that. What comes into play when we're making our argument down in the legislature and working on this new system architecture that it's not as simple as well we'll do what michigan did because michigan has other options they've taken one of their research institutions and moved to a model where it's more private but not every you know every kid who wants a baccalaureate degree in michigan doesn't only have u of m as as their option and in arizona we're very we're very different you changed it to a privatized model, if you changed ASU, and NOVA and NAU into a privatized model, there would be nothing else, uh, no other no other means to access education. Then you'd get then you get a push into the community colleges, a push for either four year degrees at community colleges or a new state system and how do those things how those things play with each other. I agree. Last time I looked, uh, Michigan, University of
2: Michigan was down around ten percent or eight percent of general fund support and that still was a lot of money and so when I looked at their websites and I haven't looked in a year the Michigan administration was yelling and screaming about how this far and no farther, or will die you know. so I just say you need to be very careful because a Christine points out we don't have that many other options yet and b Arizona is a different kind of place and it's easy get into even more trouble if you seem to be arrogant or acting like you're not a public university. You know, there's business of state-supported versus state-affiliated and all. And there may be some truth to that because of the way they treat us. But a lot of people are going to say, you belong to the state of Arizona, and if you start talking like you're independent, you know, that's really going to cause trouble. And you may try to control us more. So I would only say, we're going to have to develop these new uh, options and things will develop as they will then, where tuition may go higher on the main campuses of the system that do research. So there'll be an evolution and it may go in that direction, but I don't think anyone's in a position to make any dramatic announcements. There you go.
0: Thanks for such an informative presentation. Um, I wanted to bring up the grants and contract side. You had said that. Um, those have gone up handsomely in your words. Um, and I'm wondering if that resonates at all with the legislature and what the plan is um, in terms of the future for grants and contracts, if you're seeing that going up. And I would just think that you're le- highly leveraging the investment the state's making, and we think that would make a difference.
2: Yeah, well, we certainly are constantly, we being I do, and the president, the provost are constantly talking about the research in and sometimes that wrinkles people. I went to say, I'm of hearing about research, I want to hear about teaching now, but it's hard to talk about, you know, you can give people examples if you bring them here of some exciting things in teaching, But it's hard to go to the legislature and talk about teaching as, 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 you know, as an entity that's <coughs> exciting. So we do talk about research, and we never give up on trying to get people to accept and understand it. We're proud of the money we bring in, and we hope that things at the federal government level don't sell that up. But the point is is that we do point out, and a couple of legislators will say, though, well, you got all this research money, use that to operate the university and make up for the cuts. Well, as you all know, indirect costs does accomplish quite a bit, but uh, it's, it's a limited tool, and the rest of the research money is dedicated to those projects. And you go to jail if you suddenly start operating the university with it. We need the core funding. So some people in the legislature, especially in the governor's office, especially in the DePaul Town, they're very impressed with that research profile, and we push it. Uh, but again, it's a, a two-edged uh, sword. I do expect, though, that the U of A will continue on its trajectory of being uh, one of the country's great research universities. It's a real balance <coughs> for some legislators. They understand the
0: argument. They understand the the economic engine that that researches Uh, as as Greg mentioned there are others who who will uh, say well you've got all this you've got hundreds of millions in research dollars why can't we just use that to fund operations for the institution. Just last year we had to um, send off a a, um, a legislative effort to uh, sweep the auxiliary funds at the universities which are everything from some of the federal grant lines all the way to you know student union and and, uh, and residence hall operations so uh, there, there really isn't at times a real depth of understanding about the multiple sources of revenue I mean we're, we're billion dollar, billions of dollars three billion dollars in operating uh, expenses at the, at the university system we're, we're not just another state agency, we're on the scale of, of the largest businesses in the state.
3: Hi, I have a question about the get um, cheaper degrees plan that's in the work. Less
0: expensive? <laughs> um,
3: <Yeah>. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I really have nothing against lower tuition, lower cost of attendance um, idea. And I, I agree that it will create more access. but. What I'm concerned about is that for a certain populations of students already, universities are a revolving, a revolving door. Um, and these, this expansion will increase the enrollments of exactly those students for whom it's already a revolving door. And historically, we've seen that cheaper cost, lower cost institutions have been even more of a revolving door than higher tuition institutions. So I guess in terms of efficiency, I'm I'm a bit concerned about this idea of increasing access, and will it actually increase? Will it produce more bachelor's degrees in the end? If we've already got inefficiency in the in the work, where we see about a third to 50% of these students already not returning after their first year of college. Um, so, has that been an issue
0: of discussion? Absolutely. In the in the board's uh, strategic plan, they're not only looking at increasing. the the venues for for access, but also increasing the efficiency we have within the system. Um, The Regents are not happy, I don't think, with the retention rates at the universities. We need to do more to bring people in, to keep them in and get them to their degrees as quickly as possible because that also is a mechanism of cost savings for the state and for uh, for the citizens who are attending school. So we're not looking, the regions aren't really looking at this in a, in a vacuum. Um, they need to, we're looking at improving uh, retention and improving the number of baccalaureate degrees we put out at our universities that we have right now, but then also carrying, over, uh, carrying that over into expanded access. Uh, so what exactly are
3: you looking at with regard to improving retention currently? Uh, what are those mechanisms?
0: There are a long list, and since I'm just the lobbyist, <laughs> I haven't never <laughs> <had laughs> the strategic plan, but um, uh, up on the Board of Regents website, there there is a uh, lengthy number of, um, of institutional measures. Um, actually, we've got two of the former student regents who sat on the board through a lot of these discussions in Mary Bonifia and David Martinez, but um, looking at uh, re- retention rates, um, looking at Um, uh, uh, developing uh, transfer articulation programs where students who may start at one university and move to another start at community college have an easy ability to transfer and finish in a number of years Um, providing the uh, support network for students uh, in through advising and and those type of programs in order to make sure that students aren't being lost you're always going to have a number of students who are lost because they just they don't fit that's not what we're moving people to right now. It could be cost issues. It could be uh, just uh, that students are overwhelmed with the academics. It could just be simply that they don't feel like they have the right support and, and, and they leave. And those are the people we need to, we need to work hardest on. So there are measures in the, in the strategic plan. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have those, but I'm happy to, on our Board of Regents website is the 2020 Vision Strategic Plan and that has uh, further details about the measurable goals um, for for each of the areas of the strategic plan and some of the measures that each of the institutions are addressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I threw it to you, Mary, and you, David, <laughs> if you wanted
4: to add anything. I have a question based on something that you said, Greg. Um, you noted that the revenues uh, from patents um, and presumably from other types of entrepreneurial activity, technology transfer, off firms and so forth have uh, tended to be limited and sporadic for universities, um, and that's, to uh, the best of my knowledge, that's true. Uh, yet we see research universities continuing to use those things as points of leverage when discussing their value. We need to uh, we, we need to invest in research universities so we can generate patentable, you know, knowledge that produce firms. Uh, would it make the art would, would universities have a more legitimate argument to simply say you need to invest in us so that we can produce human capital and generate knowledge that goes into the public domain that can then be used for whatever reason rather than saying you need to invest in us to develop patentable technology?
2: Yeah, Brendan, I, I certainly agree. I myself stay away from ever talking about give us more research money and we'll start uh, making millions of dollars on patents and all that because it's like if there's too much luck involved we do a lot of basic research that's not going to lead to patents we do some things and then we talk about the Montana Corporation that just spent on it. those things are rare so i do think the best argument and the one i would use i never talk about how will cost us to get Gatorade, which is hardly a high-tech thing anyway but it's made the most money of any patent uh, thing in the world for Florida the fact is is that i do think there's two things one so we're doing basic research that allows other things to happen in our society, even if you can't connect a straight line. And secondly, the research grants we bring in are a very valuable component in the economy of the state, especially Southern Arizona. Now I leave it at that. I don't start promising people, you know, home runs and uh, patents and, and, and certain inventions. We do make the argument that investing in the university is an
0: investment in human capital, and that will lead to. Um, you know companies coming here because we have an educated workforce we we, we make that very argument very strongly but uh when it comes to nickels and dimes uh, demonstrating that return on investment um isn't quite as clear as, as some of the issues when you uh, when you can put on the table uh look at the um the cancer center and the, and the work that's going on in, in the university uh in, in that realm look at um, with specific examples of, of how they've impacted it's, it's a really it's the sales technique and it depends on who you're talking to but
4: we are we are making more documents. if i was reading it correctly and one of your pie charts you show what percentage of the university budget comes from various sources and it looked to me yeah like um you you made the comment right that that more of our support is going to have to come from private donors and yeah it looks to me like we've gone from 4% to 3% if I'm reading that correctly. Um, how do you see that changing? What are, what are you aware of that gives you confidence that we're gonna have more private support to contributions? I just
2: think that it's not that I think that private contributions are gonna turn into 15% or something. Uh, I just think you know necessity and the mother of invention and other such cliches will keep us working hard at private money. And that, that will become a, a little more important. But I don't mean to be a Pollyanna about it and make it sound as though it's going to zoom higher. I mean, I, I think that's something that as tuition grows, uh, although it's not going to grow endlessly and indefinitely, but if tuition does get higher for a research university, I think there'll be a lot of pressure on the administration in the future to really be making a tremendous effort to private fundraising. But that's not going to be a state contribution. And therefore, it's not going to be. I mean, it's not going to be money you can count on from year to year. You're not going to know exactly what we bring in, and the endowment. I think there'll be more pressure to double up the money as it comes in, and that's just endowment. You know, so the other
0: the other issue, just from year to year. I mean, as the you know as the economy went down, so did the return on, on the endowment investment. So there might be you know from from year to year, sometimes that has some of an impact. I I was a um, briefly. I was a, um, a development officer for a year and a half. The West has a very different uh, philosophy about investing in, uh, in philanthropy. There, it, it's very hard to raise money in, in the West, different though than the East. the yeah, East is a little bit easier. You also have to, uh, it, it, uh, some folks like to draw comparisons between uh, bringing up Michigan again. Um, you know why doesn't the U of A have an endowment the size of the University of Michigan? Well, the University of Michigan has been around a little bit longer because the uh, the philosophy about philanthropy is different than than it is uh, in the progressive era uh, West when when the state uh, started and when the university was first developed. So it took it took decades uh, for those endowments for universities in the East Coast to be developed to. A capacity that can help support a significant portion of their budget we're still young our state is still young and I think some people uh, forget that it's going to take us a long time uh, to build that up and I think as um, not not just in the case of the university but other uh, as, as the movement goes <coughs> moving away uh, the moving away from state provided services and into uh, into a philosophy where some believe that uh, the public should support those uh, services on its own. I think the West and Arizona is going to struggle with how philanthropic uh, our community is and the multiple uh, demands on, on on a growing uh, interest in uh, philanthropy, philanthropic um, I have a question. Um, I want to thank you for what you do because I would imagine the hardest place to be a lobbyist is in the Arizona <laughs> for public <laughs> higher education. Um, so, thank you for your good work, and I know much of it is unrecognized and hidden. But um, I do have a question. How much of the struggle is because you mentioned the population? So, when we're talking to people who are making these decisions, including our own state legislators, but even our own public, who many of us are not college educated, how much of this is really about a reflection of? the lack of education versus making all of these arguments and charts in, in greater state support. You no, know, I have an ongoing um, argument with members of my family who can't understand why I got into um, But we have this ongoing uh, debate whenever the uh, legislative uh, salary increases are on the table. And there are members of my family who say, they don't they're no damn good why should I pay them any more and I say you're not going to get anybody any better <laughs> unless you pay them a little bit more we're in a state where uh, several people like to say we have a part-time legislator- legislature um, we have in rule in, in the legislature a hundred-day session last year they were in session months. <laughs> they had five special sessions by the end of the year I think they were out of session maybe two full months out of 12 Um, We're paying them $24,000 a year for a full-time job. There are some in the legislature, um, Jennifer Burns, who is a Southern Arizona legislator, has said publicly before, there are members of the legislature that a $24,000 a year job with with state retirement and benefits is the best job they will ever, the highest paid job they will ever. Uh, you, you rely on, when somebody wants to dedicate their life to that kind of public service, you also need to pay them adequately so that they can listen to uh, the public, so that they can take the time to, to do that. So I think that's part of the difficulty. I think the low the low pay we give to, to legislators is part of the difficulty. Um, I think that term limits is, is part of the difficulty because when you have only eight years, maybe a little bit longer, and you have a time certain in which you have to get to to your next goal Uh, instead of becoming an expert on policy issues you're constantly moving seeing what you can do uh, to help this group of people now and then move on to the next issue instead of really understanding you know Greg was uh, before as Greg said before fire was invented when Greg worked at the legislature you had people served for decades Uh, and Bob McClendon is on on the Board of Regents now. Um, served before term limits and then left uh, when his when the term limits went into place and his eight years was up and you talked to Bob and he said you know when I was down at the legislature and I thought about leaving and term limits weren't in place someone would walk up to me and go come on Bob you're doing so great just one more time and he say oh well okay one more time one more time and one more time turns into you know 15 more years of, of service you don't you don't have that anymore you can't can't
2: tell somebody come on just another just another couple of years of service you're doing a great service to the state it's oh well I'm done I don't need to run again my term limit's up I don't feel like running for the other house I think that's been that's been problematic I would just add I would have to say this although it accepts some but I spoke out against clean elections anywhere I could privately obviously not in public forum uh, and then it passed and it did what I thought and a number of my friends thought which is Clean elections led to a much more ideological legislation, and it happened quickly. It broke the connection between the business community and the legislature. It didn't break it, but it, it diminished it. And people wanted to do that. They wanted to diminish the business So I can understand it. Uh, it also made more ideological factions within the Democratic Party more powerful. But since the Democrats have only rarely governed the Senate in modern times, uh, the dominant party, the Republican Party, became more right wing. Uh, after clean election. In fact, as one of the one of the senators likes to remind me, almost every legislator who has really got out of his way to be double in the universities was elected initially in clean elections. Many of them then went on to run private, you know, using private funding once they got established and had their name id I could use the power of the incumbency to raise money. But they started out getting ideological clumps, the white folks and the anti-abortion folks and these people into clusters that funded them. And you know, we really thought. I mean, people in both parties uh, had predicted to the newspapers that, it, you know, it sounds good. Clean elections, the very name, it's, it's stacking the deck is a good thing. But a terrible one I don't think had a terrible effect on us. But clean elections was a devastator, although uh, things are pretty well broken now. I don't know if repealing clean elections is really going to change things
0: anymore either. Okay, so if you're as nerdy as I am, you can probably spend all day talking to them about this stuff, but this is very fascinating. Um, I encourage you, uh, go to our website, newconomyarizona.edu. We have a blog, so please post your questions and let's continue this really interesting conversation. And please join me in thanking our two our guests.